Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top, and we are continuing our erotic performer, exotic dancer month, which has been a total blast on here. So welcome back to the show. This is Auntie Vice, and today we're here with Dabby Longlegs. They do everything. They're a performer, a burlesque dancer. They have a podcast called Living Deliciously. They are a virtual assistant to a number of sex workers. They play music. They do all the things. Welcome to the show, Dabby. Hello. Thanks so much for having me on, Auntie Vice. It's so great to see you. So we've had a number of of people on the show this month talking about what it's like to be in any of the erotic arts. So let's start with how did you get into this? Like, did you go to high school thinking, I can't wait to get naked on stage? Oh, my gosh. Honestly, yes. That whole journey and desire and like seed got planted um when I was like a freshman in high school I was obsessed with watching America's Next Top Model and they had Dita Von Teese as a guest and I grew up in like a super Christian repressed household and upbringing and to see like somebody be like so open and confident about their sexuality and so shameless about it I was just like like you can do that like what and then and then I got on like tumblr you know during like my high school years and so I saw like a lot of like vintage pinup and like burlesque stuff and like I was kind of like an overachiever student and so I was like oh like I can't do that like I I, it was just like a little fantasy that I had and then when I turned 18 I found out that there was a pole dance studio in my town and so as soon as I turned 18 I started taking pole dance classes I started um doing drag with like the rainbow alliance at the college I was at and then um I started discovering that there was like a burlesque scene in Sacramento and so yeah, it just, it all, all of those things like culminated and I wound up teaching at the pole dance studio for a couple of years. I also, um, like one time I was between jobs and I was like, well, all my experience at pole dance studios has taught me how to pole dance and give lap dances like a pro so I can work at clubs too. And so, yeah, so I've just kind of like done a little bit of everything with that, with drag, burlesque, pole working at clubs. And then of course, with the pandemic, my favorite club that I was working at got shut down for the time being. And so I also like dabbled with like the only fans and stuff too. So. So you grew up in this fairly conservative religious household. What gave you the courage to break from that and embrace who you are? Yeah, that's a, that's a loaded topic. And it's, um, 
it's an ongoing thing. Like, honestly, um, when I finally, it's so weird, but like taking a life in the universe class is what allowed me to like, like logically and like critically decide to like leave religion. And then going to therapy really has like helped me like process like a lot of like the sexual shame and stuff. And that's like an ongoing journey. And um, I'm really fortunate to have like a therapist who like specializes in like alternative lifestyle and like kink positivity. And then um, having a somatic therapist too, because like they focus on, you know, making sure that you're embodied in what you do and that like, you're not like dissociated. And so that's been really, really helpful. And then also just like finding community with like other like sex positive people, which has been hard during the pandemic, unfortunately, but, um, but yeah, all of that. And just like, whenever I am at like burlesque shows and drag shows and like clubs and stuff, I just, I feel more normal and like, I'm like, oh, these are my people. And like, this is what it's supposed to feel like. And so, yeah, I just, I can't imagine ever going back. You bring up somatic therapy and it's, it's something we've talked a little bit about on the show. I've done a ton of writing for a somatic psychology site and it is about being in your body and connected with your body. Did you find when you started this journey, especially coming out of a conservative religion that really is focused on sexual shame that you had to have been completely out of touch with your body or were you in touch with it? And what's that? part of what motivated this journey Mm. yeah that part's kind of like that part's really interesting because um like taking pole dancing classes was really a good first step for me because I like I still remember my first class and her the instructor was teaching us how to walk around the pole and she was encouraging us to like run our hands up and down our body and like smack our booty and like play with our hair and I remember this inhibition of like I can't do that and and then eventually when I was teaching classes it was like the tables turned where like all of a sudden I was teaching you know my students to do those things and I was teaching them exercises where they're like breathing and doing something I call highlighting where like you breathe and you like trace different parts of your body to like show gratitude to them but then also to like show them off as if you were on stage and and then all of a sudden like students were saying like I can't do that but then you know after a couple classes they were able to and so um yeah and so dancing really helped me like tap into that and it was interesting though because like as I came into my gender identity like I did start to realize like I started to like catch myself where I'd noticed that like when I was on stage, like sometimes the adrenaline of going on stage and like still kind of like having that like perfectionist overachiever student kind of mentality would cause me to be dissociated. And so um, it also like taught me to work through that of like with how I make my choreography with like not trying to put so many things in or building in time into the routine where I'm able to just like breathe and like soak up the audience's like praise and stuff. And so it's really been sort of like this beautiful journey of like, not only like performing in art, but also like appreciating my body. In in going through that journey, because you've performed very femme burlesque, very drag centered, and now you've got, you've engaged in some gender affirmation surgeries. How does that change 
in each of those stages, how does that change how you feel on stage and how you hold that space for yourself going on, say, in hyperfem or in drag or, you know, now embodied in, in this new body that you have? In the last yeah, um, I'm really excited for how it's going to be like one. So like the first surgery I had was a hysterectomy. And one, like, I can already tell that it's going to, to like, improve my performance because, you know, it's like my period would always come at the end of the month. And then guess what usually gets scheduled at the end of month shows. And so it's like, it, like, I would like start out the month, like planning out my choreography and my routine and being really motivated about it. And then all of a sudden show week comes and I'm having cramps, I'm having vertigo and anemia, I'm bloated skin's breaking out. And like, I also had PMDD. And so on top of that, like, it just makes your moods very unstable. And I'd like want to rage quit everything. And so now it's like, I have all this, I'm not like having all those symptoms and I have all this energy at the end of the month. And so I'm really excited to like bring that energy and to not feel like I'm suffering through things. And then for top surgery, I'm, I'm really excited about that because I, I always had like a complicated relationship with my chest. Like I, um, of course I like repressed my queerness and like attraction to femme people. And so I was really upset that I didn't like having boobs. Um, cause I always thought like, like I would see people with nice boobs and I'd be like, oh my God, boobs. And then, you know, Christian brain would have to rationalize that and be like, no, no. I mean, when I grow up to be a woman, I hope my boobs look like that. Right. <laughs> like, and then I realized like, oh, I don't like want boobs. I want boobs, you know? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so that like took a lot of like grappling and like with a lot of burlesque, like, I feel like it's a lot of it is traditionally about like the nipple pasty reveal and that's fun, but it kind of started to feel like obligatory to me. And it was just like, uh, that's like this part of my body that like, I don't even like, and I feel very detached from it. And like, I'll do these things with it because it's what's expected of me. But I just kind of felt like I was like drudging through it. And now the the top surgery that I got I don't have nipples anymore and like I worked out my chest a lot so I had like defined pecs and so it's like I still have like some chest tissue there and so the cool thing about it because somebody actually asked me this they asked me how my performance art would be impacted by not having boobs and I was like well like you know even like flat-chested people can still wear bras I can still wear like my leather, like chest harnesses, like kinky chest harnesses. I can still wear pasties, you know, like I just tape them on. I don't have to worry about them completely covering my nipples. And even like I could take the pasties off as part of my performance and not get in trouble. <laughs> and even like throw the audience off even more because they're going to be like, oh, what are they doing? Like, you can't take those off. And then being like, surprise. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to like when I'm all healed up and I could do that but yeah but then like also it's just like there's that I'm hoping that my performance art will be even more embodied because now you know like I'm carrying myself like the way that I want to be in going through various gender affirmation surgeries this is one thing that a lot of people will think about will fantasize about but it's really a scary hump for a lot of us to actually go through that process. So what was it for you that said, okay, I'm going to commit to this and I'm going to do all of this 
bullshit paperwork and the 1200 things you have to do to get approved, uh, you know, because it's still rather onerous in the bureaucracy to have yes. this done, and, which will give you plenty of time to rethink your decision. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> right. So, so what finally gave you the motivation to, to commit and, and go through? Yeah. That? So one thing, this part surprised me. One thing was bimbos. Um, <laughs> I had, I had always thought, cause like I'd always known that I wanted a hysterectomy. Like I had a phobia of pregnancy since I was six, thanks to my super crazy Christian upbringing. And then my periods were awful. So like, that was like a no brainer. And then the chest surgery, I knew that I wanted it, but I had like a lot of guilt about wanting it. And then I, when I was in college, like one of my super second wave teachers had us read this book called female chauvinist pigs. And there was this whole chapter that was super transphobic. And they mentioned people who'd had top surgery. Do not recommend that book. It's awful. But, um, but yeah. And so I was afraid of being like that. And like, just like this, like stigma around surgery to like change your appearance. And then I started learning about bimbos and bimbofication and how like they are their own fetishes. Like they, like the way that they look is their fetish. And then I was like, why can't like my queerness be my fetish? Like what, what is about owning that and like owning the fact that I feel good in my body. And then I was just like, yeah, like I'm allowed to do that. And like these surgeries are available for a reason. And then as far as actually going through with it, um, I feel really lucky. Like it was really easy for me. So I'd been really broke during the pandemic as like, I'm sure a lot of people are like, it's been a rough time. And my insurance was like ridiculously expensive. And then once Biden became president, there was like some like tax relief credit bill that he had. And I found out that I qualified for financial aid. And so I was able to get like the super fancy insurance for like ridiculously discounted. And then I was like, you know what, I'm just going to call and find out how much surgery would cost. And like, I don't know if I should say the exact number, but it was like, so cheap, so cheap, so, 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 so yeah. And I was just like, well, I'm doing this now. Like, why am I going to wait? Like, who cares that I'm not like quote financially stable now? Because like, when else, what am I going to wait until it's actually thousands of dollars? Like, no. And, um, yeah. And so I, I called my doctor and like, fortunately, like, like I'm also like really privileged to be like living in you know, California and living in a city where I have doctors who are queer affirming. And so like my ob was like super queer affirming. He was like the lead of this like LGBT department thing. So when I told him like, you know, I just, I want to be on like low dose testosterone and I want top surgery. He was like, oh, we do bottom surgery too. And I was like, well, I don't want a phalloplasty. And then they were like, oh no, we do hysterectomies for non-binary people. Like that's like bottom surgery for non-binary people. And I was just like, what? And so I was able to just like get it. And like they, you, you do a bunch of like phone calls and like you do an interview with a social worker and like, really like, they just want to ask about like your medical history and, you know, if you use substances or like family health issues and stuff like that. But I didn't have to go through any of like the proving my queerness that I thought I would have to go through. And so I feel very appreciative and like fortunate that like, and that's how it should be. That's how it should be for every trans person. Like that's how I want it to be for everybody 
And including like cis women who want to get hysterectomies, like anybody who has a uterus who doesn't want it shouldn't have to keep it. And then, but there's like a lot of politics, there's like fat phobia and racism and all this other bullshit that gets in the way of people like getting this care. But like my case was an ideal case, but like, I wish it wasn't a rare case. What was it like to wake up from top surgery? It felt like my second birthday. Um, Cause I, I had wanted like top surgery for my birthday and I wanted my hysterectomy for Christmas and the hysterectomy happened to be at the end of December and then top surgery was at the end of March, my birthday month. And like, I woke up crying a little bit from the pain, but also just like relief. And I just sort of like cried for like a good five minutes. They just like left me alone with a box of tissues. (laughs) And then, um, and like the rest of the day was just like really beautiful. Like my partner brought me home and like had a bunch of like pillows set up for me. And then um, two of my friends came over and like brought me a bunch of like treats and things to like make the surgery go easier. And my, my partner made me like a booby cake. And it was like green. So like when he like sliced it open, it was like an alien feel. <laughs> like it's a bay. <laughs> and yeah, it just it just felt like a second birthday. That's amazing. That's wonderful. What? And you recently put up reveal photos on social media. What has been the response? Honestly, so like I've lost a couple of followers, which I like, I don't know who they were. I was just like, okay, bye. Like see yourself out the door. No loss there. But like everybody has just been like so supportive and like kind. And it's just been really wonderful to like know that like my community, like, like I feel like I have like the right people in my life right now. I'm just like, these are the kinds of people I want around me. These are people who support me who are happy for me with what I'm doing. And it's just like nice to like feel that love. It's gotta be, it's gotta be so nice. Have you told your family about it? The conservative side? Yeah. So that's really interesting. I actually, about a week or two ago, I wrote like the letter to my family because I've had a lot of like, like issues with them with like communicating with them and stuff. And um, my whole life, they were pretty queer phobic. They just like, another reason why I was so dissociated growing up was just because like, you know, I, I would listen to the things that they would say and how they would talk about anybody who was even a little bit different. And it just taught me that like, it's not safe for me to be myself. And so I wrote all of them like a four page letter basically explaining like how their how like our whole family dynamic like negatively affected me as a kid and how the way that they like forced gender on me was really harmful because I got a lot well you're too pretty to do this or like nice girls don't talk like that or nice girls don't act like that or like when you become a mother and when you have children and boys prefer girls who blah 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 And I just, I confronted them on all that. I told them that I'm non-binary. I sort of implied that I'm like, you know, like attracted to multiple genders, but like, that's not really your business, but like it's in, it's like present throughout the world. So it's not like an unnatural thing. Y'all just need to do a Google search and like learn that there's more than just like two sex chromosomes out there. Like, and I called them out on like the religious trauma and, and I told them that, you know, I had a hysterectomy and that 
I'm recovering from top surgery this month. And so I don't want them to reach out to me this month. And if they do reach out to me, like I made all of my boundaries very clear and that if they can't respect those boundaries that they need to give me space. So it was a doozy. <laughs> How was it after you sent it? Um, I had put off sending it for like probably a month. It felt like like a final boss moment, you know, in like video games. Because I, um, over the years, like I've been learning how to like set boundaries with people and like how to communicate because I obviously didn't learn those skills from them. And so like getting that practice, like through therapy and through friendships and like my romantic relationships, I felt like it was just sort of like leading up to like the final boss moment. And I felt a lot of guilt about sending it because I, I would get like gaslit a lot from them. Like anytime, you know, I said like, hey, this hurt my feelings. It would always be like, you think this about me or no, I didn't say that. And so um, I, I was really afraid that I was like mean in the letter. And then eventually I just read it one last time and I was like, nope, I'm not being mean. I'm not, you know, saying anything that's too harsh. I'm simply telling my truth. And if they can't handle that, they can't be in my life. But there are other people who can, who do love me. And so, yeah, I just kind of released it. And now I'm just trying to keep calm. <laughs> <laughs> you and I have talked before about how when your body doesn't match your identity, both of us have mm -hmm. had a number of autoimmune issues. As you've gone through this transformation, how have you found your health in other areas? have responded do you still have the significant autoimmune issues and stuff any form of pmdd why well, it wouldn't technically yeah. be that you know those swings and stuff that come do you still experience those that's really interesting so um yeah because it's like i've never been able to get like a proper like autoimmune diagnosis from doctors like they've kind of been garbage about it like my big symptoms are like if i eat certain foods i get like these like eczema flare-ups all over my body, which like I still sometimes get, but not as badly. But um, in addition to the PMDD, the doctor found endometriosis after my surgery. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like I just started sobbing because it's like, it's like your organ is literally attacking your body. It's like, it's attacking your other organs and it causes digestive issues and psychological issues. And so that was like this really big emotional like moment for me. And, um, and I have like, like she, she gave me like pictures of it and everything and it just made so much sense. And now that it's gone, I just, I feel like I had like a parasite removed from my body or something <laughs> because it's like, I just, I have energy. Like I still get a little bit of PMS because like I kept my ovaries. So it's like, mm -hmm. I might cry a little bit more the week before my period, or I might be like, I might need a little bit more alone time because I'm just like kind of irritable, but it's not like so severe as like wanting to rage quit things. I'm not like doubling over in pain anymore. I sometimes get like a phantom cramp and it'll last for like a second, but it's nowhere near what endometriosis pain was like and um also like not having like not having like pain after sex either and that's another huge one because um I I read this book called You Are Your Own by Jamie Lee Finch and it's about religious trauma and one of the things that she mentioned too was that 
um, like sexual repression, especially in AFAB bodies, can lead to autoimmune symptoms. And it's like you're holding all of that tension in this lower part of your body because you're trying to ignore its signals. And it's like, well, there's a bunch of other organs there too, and your digestive system and all of this stuff. And so, yeah, it's just, it's already improved significantly, but like, I'm really looking forward to like the next few months, like as I continue to heal and like, you know, how, how much more life I'll be able to have back. Oh, that's, that's so amazing. And it makes me think of the number of people with uteruses I know that have endometriosis where it's been this lifelong struggle and they're never offered a hysterectomy as an, as a solution. And, and it's, it's so like, under-treated. It's so underdiagnosed. I wouldn't have been diagnosed if they didn't do that surgery. And I was just like, y'all are kidding me? Like, I spent this whole time thinking I was crazy. Because that's the other thing. It's like, you know, I mean, like the stereotype of like hysteria, but it's issues with that organ make you feel like you're crazy because our medical system doesn't take it seriously. And so much medical gaslighting. Oh, so you're much. This up that Right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I could do podcast after podcast after medical gaslighting that anybody who is not cisgendered, slim and white get. Like it's horrible. Yeah. It's absolutely horrible. So I want to go back to, to performance and stuff. With burlesque, so much of it focuses on the female body and jiggling your titties yeah. and, you know, shaking your booty and all of that. Yeah. And there are men who perform burlesque mm-hmm. and we've had a few on the show, but as a non-binary person going, this is a whole new thing. And the world is struggling to figure out what the hell non-binary means. Mm-hmm. People are very militarized over this yes. shit. And I, I praying that turfs never find this show. Cause I'm not quite up for that level. Of oh attack. my gosh. Seriously. though. <laughs> But how has it been? And you've been identified as non-binary for several years mm-hmm. in the the burlesque and drag scenes. How does that get received? And does that limit the shows you're on? Does it change your performance? Mm. Honestly, like over the years, I've kind of, I mean, like, I don't know, the pandemic was sort of like helpful because I also... Okay. So like in 2019, I took like a really big break from burlesque. Like I I reached this level of burnout. I realized that like I was overbooking myself. I was overworking myself. I was literally never giving myself a day off and my physical and mental health were struggling. And on top of that, I had like really poor boundaries with like the troop that I was in. And, um, and I noticed that like, as I was a people pleaser, like I wouldn't assert myself with like producers and other performers and things like that. And so during like from 2019, all through the pandemic, um, you know, I started like doing a lot of work on boundaries. And so because of that, like since then, I've, I've just been more selective about who I perform with and like specifically like going to shows where like, I know that like, there's going to be other like queer people or that like the producers and the other performers are like really open-minded and respectful But as far as, like, what kinds of performances I do, to me, like, it's sort of, I just kind of view it all as drag and burlesque. It's, like, even if I go to a drag show, like, I'm probably still going to do burlesque or, like, bring, like, elements of burlesque into it. And then it's, like, if I 
at a burlesque show, like I am going to bring elements of drag into it. And so to me, it's like, it's kind of like the non-binary of dragon burlesque, like combined. And so um, I, I personally like that because it, I feel like it, it like stands out and um, it makes people kind of like question things. And then it's like the feedback for the most part that I get. I mean, like, I know that I have had like some people not like it, but so far, like nobody's been like in my face about it or anything. But for the most part, like I've had people like come up to me and say like, you know, that they like appreciated it or that like they felt represented or that they had like a big sexual awakening or something like that. Um, and I also am like really like body hair positive too. Like I don't shave my armpits. Sometimes I don't shave my legs either. And so um, I just like challenging what people think is sexy and like providing that representation. On that, you recently got to perform with the godfather of filth, my all-time hero, yes. John Waters. What was it like to be in an audience that is loves his work? Lo- like, because we're talking about really pushing the boundaries yeah. of <laughs> everything queer. Yeah, right? I, I am. I worship at the feet of John Waters. What was it like to finally get to perform in that type of space? It was amazing because I remember like learning about John Waters when I was a little baby queer in one of my queer theory classes and like my professor showing us like we read his book Role Models, which I recently like re-listened to the audiobook for, which I totally recommend because his voice is amazing and the storytelling is just hilarious. But um, and we watched the video of just Divine eating the dog shit like in our classroom. <laughs> And, um, yeah, it just, it, it made me feel like I was at home of just like, oh, like this just, because something that like that I would also struggle with as a performer is like shame, you know, of like being like too much because that's like that old religious, religious conditioning and knowing that I was going to be like performing in the same building as like the father of filth. I was just like, there's no such thing as too much. There's literally no such thing as too much or too weird or too sexual or whatever. And so um, that just felt like really liberating. Um, his stand-up was absolutely amazing. Like his storytelling is wonderful. And then um, before the drag show portion of the evening started, he came into the dressing room because he wanted to say hello to all of us. And he was just like, you know, like, like, oh, I, I don't know. It was just sort of like, you're, you're my symbolic grandfather. Like, I'm never going to have a cool liberal grandfather. Like, the, the people in my side of the family are all like pastors and shit. But like having this really sweet little old man just say that he loves the work that we're doing and that he loves what we're putting into the world was just really sweet and affirming. And, and it's also just, it's nice to like meet your heroes and like have them actually be like nice people and stuff. So yeah, it was, it was quite a magical night. And you, you talk about hearing about his work and and discovering him as a baby queer and you got to get sandwiched into this period after like my generation fought to even not get like beat the hell up at school, but before this big conservative backlash that we're having now. And now we have a whole generation of baby queers that are growing up in a much more stigmatized world. Yeah. Right? There's so much more of our shit being banned and, you know, fuck Ron DeSantis, 
which is going to be a running thing on the show. It started with Elisa, but yeah. So for for all the baby queers out there and the people who are just coming into discovering their queerness Mm. and explore their gender, what would you tell them? Oh, I would tell them. I'm like gonna like feel emotional now because I'm just I'm thinking of like baby queer like version of me who is just like so scared and stuff and it's just like no matter what like your situation is like even if people at home aren't supportive or like your social group at school isn't supportive like I strongly recommend like getting into art even if it's like a secret sketchbook or you know, finding art, finding your role models, like the John Waters book, you know, like whether it's like through movies or like music videos, I know like for me, like watching music videos of like queer artists, it gives me so much like gender euphoria. It makes me feel less alone. And then it also is just like, it's possible to exist as this like whole person. Like, like Frank, like Rocky Horror Picture Show was like another part of my queer awakening. And that just <laughs> was like so amazing to me. And then like seeing when I was getting more into like nurturing like my masculine side, like watching Dorian Electra for some reason, that like gave me permission because I was just like, oh, like I can be AFAB and like they used to work at like a topless bar. And so I'm like, oh, I can be AFAB and have this like erotic dancer background. And like drawn like a trashy mustache and like wear dudes clothes. And, and so like, even if, even if like, you're not safe to like be your full self right now, like, it's just so important to like have those things to hold on to, to remind you that it is possible and to, um, and to just like have things to like look forward to and like, don't be afraid to like dream big. You know, it's like, I never thought I would be able to be a burlesque performer. Like I never thought that I would do that. And now I'm doing it. And like, you know, like there were times when it was like really rough and like, I would get depressed and like younger me did not think I would live to be 28, but I'm really glad that I hung around for it. Like, I'm really glad that I like stuck around for it. And um, yeah. And so I just, I, my heart goes out to all of the baby queers and like, I just hope that they know that like, that they're not alone. And that even though like parts of the world are really shitty and rough, like there are people out there who will just love and accept them and yeah, and hold them. So if people want to find you, if they want to hire you as an assistant, if they're a sex worker, if they want to hire you for a show, if they want to follow you online, where do they go? Yeah. Um, honestly, my Instagram is probably like the best hub. Um, Dabby period long legs. And um, there, like, I talk about my virtual assistant work. People can DM me for questions about that. I mainly specialize in, like, social media and, like, content management. And then um, you can DM me for booking, podcast interviews. And then I'm also going to be getting back on, like, the OnlyFans and the Fansly sites probably later this summer. So I'll be posting more about that on there, too. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. Hi, this is Antibice from Fat Chicks on Top. I want to take a minute and talk about Newsly. 
Newsly is an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles on the most trending topics at any given moment and reads them in a natural human voice. For the first time ever, the entire internet has become listenable all in one place. This is great for accessibility needs as well as people who would rather listen than scroll. Explore trending podcasts from 50 countries. Our podcast, Fat Chicks on Top, is there too. You can download Newsly for free from www.newsly.me and use the promo code FC0T. One month free premium subscription. And now, a moment of gratitude. Lately, I've been really grateful for rest. Like, I know when we, like, first got on, like, I said, like, this is kind of, like, the slowest that, like, that, like, my life pace has been because it's, like, I'm recovering from surgery. And so I'm just grateful to, like, finally have this kind of, like, opportunity to, like, look at, like, the importance of rest and, like, the role that it plays in my life and um, taking naps. (laughs) I took a really nice nap today and it was wonderful. And um, I also, I want to give credit to the nap ministry. It's like this really awesome, like black owned organization. And like, they, they just talk about like the importance of, you know, getting away from like all of, like the capitalistic whitewashing out there and relearning how to prioritize rest. So I think we could all benefit from that. from Fat Chicks on Top. If you like this program and you want more conversation, you want more queer stuff, please check out Hello, Welcome with Terry Dornack on all streaming services. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.